come in and find a seat. Happy almost New Year to everybody. Is it Happy New Year in China yet? Almost New Year in China too. Okay, so the title of my message this morning is Reset. You can go ahead and open your Bibles to Psalm 119 and we'll get there in a second. Uh, over the next 20 days, uh, we're going to be working through this, this devotional together that's called Reset, and I believe it's going to be really encouraging for a lot of you. I'm going to read a couple, uh, a review, and then a forward of the book just so you can get a little idea of what it is. Uh, this first one is by an author named Sarah Haggerty. She said, I read this book while I rocked my infant girl, and I found within the pages that prayer resets are available even for a mom of six like me. Though my life hasn't gotten any less full in the last 20 days, my insides are alive in a new way because of the invitation of God within this book. And then a uh, foreword by Andreas Speaker, who is a pastor in Mexico. He said, everyone values the importance of prayer, and we all want to pray in a significant way. But for many of us, the way seems confusing and intimidating. Bob simply makes that goal attainable. If you want a fresh start, do yourself a favor and read this gem. All right, so over the next 20 days, we're going to work through that book together, and I believe it's going to be really good for a lot of us. And you can pick that up in the foyer. Uh, we got it as cheaply as possible, and so those are available for $2.50 out there in the foyer. <clears throat> All right, so you guys have Psalm 119? Yeah? All right, so the title of my message this morning is Reset. We're going to start in Psalm 119. Verse 112. Verse 112 says, I have inclined mine heart to perform thy statutes always, even until the end. The first reset is to reset your heart. I've inclined mine, my heart. That means he had to change the position of his heart. His heart was either in a place of decline or recline, and he had to move his heart forward into a place of incline. Many times we just act upon how we feel. We use phrases like a knee-jerk reaction, or we say, I overreacted, or I'm a very reactive person. Maybe you wake up and you just feel down, you feel discouraged, and your heart feels declined, and you leave it in that place, in that place of hopelessness. Maybe you feel discouraged. Stuff in your life isn't going the way that you expected, the way that you had hoped. And we leave our heart in that place of decline. Recently, I went to, uh, to check the transmission fluid on my van. I have a Toyota Sienna. And my last Toyota Sienna that I had, it said that I should change my transmission fluid around a certain number of miles. And I was kind of getting to that place. <clears throat> so I went to check the transmission fluid. So I went to the place in the engine that the dipstick was on the last van. And I looked there, and there's no dipstick. So I'm like, that's weird. So I kind of like look around, and I'm looking all over the place, and I can't find it, and now I'm feeling stupid. I'm like, I can't even find the dipstick in, for the transmission. It's kind of ridiculous. So, you know, I'm embarrassed, and I go, and I look in, the, in the, uh, the owner's manual, and I flip open to the part where it talks about the transmission, and it turns out there is no dipstick. So I'm not stupid. I'm genius. <laughs> um, there is no dipstick. It's what's called a sealed-for-life maintenance-free transmission. Does that sound awesome or what? Sealed for life, maintenance-free. 
So I got, I got to thinking about that, and I thought, you know, isn't that what we want in our life? We want our lives to be maintenance-free. We want our snowblower to work when it snows. We don't want to have to change the oil in it. We don't have to want to check on it and make sure it needs anything. We just want stuff to work when we want it to work. We don't want to have to do the maintenance to take care of it. I'm, I'm a part of a generation that some people call the set it and forget it generation. I think that actually comes from an infomercial, set it and forget it. Um, people want to be able to set whatever they're working on and then just forget it, not have to think about it, not have to maintain it, not have to take care of it. But I'm telling you this morning that inclining your heart is not a set it and forget it kind of a thing. It's not a one and done kind of a thing. It's not a go to Camp Judah or go to a conference and incline my heart and then I'm good to go for the year. It's not even a come to church on Sunday morning and incline my heart and now I'm all set. I can just set it and forget it. Inclining our heart is something that we have to do on a daily basis. Sometimes on hard days, inclining our heart is like a morning, noon, and night kind of a thing. Sometimes on the brutal days, on the hardest of days, we have to incline our heart. We have to reset our heart out of that place of decline on a moment-by-moment basis. Your heart will always be tempted to decline to something. It'll be tempted to decline to discouragement or hopelessness or fear. Solomon said to guard your heart because it's the place where life flows from. A lot of scholars look at Psalm 119 and they say Psalm 119 is actually a curriculum that David wrote to teach his son Solomon the ABCs of spiritual life. It's like the ABCs, the simple one, two, threes, the how do I live in my spiritual life? How am I going to make it? How am I going to survive? How do I make it to the end? And David said he needed to incline his heart. Sometimes we spend so much time paying attention to our exterior. We take pictures that we post on Facebook and we put, get all these filters just right. Some of you, you put all these filters on, on the picture to the point that I look at it and I'm like, that's, that's not even you anymore. Like, I don't even know who that is. We spend so much time dealing with our exterior and not enough time checking the incline of our heart. Maybe you feel discouraged or frustrated or even hopeless this morning. Your tendency is going to be look, to look for someone or something to put the blame on. Maybe the problem isn't so much about your circumstances, but maybe it's more about the incline of your heart. I'm not minimizing the challenge of your circumstances or your situation. If it wasn't a thing at all, then you'd be doing well. Obviously, it's a challenge. But I wonder if it has less to do with how difficult your situation is and more to do with your heart position in the situation. I was talking to my daughter, Jocelyn, this week. We went out to breakfast. I said to her, Jocelyn, isn't it always true that someone is going through something harder than you. There's always someone who's in a worse situation, a more difficult situation, and she thought about it for a second, and she thought about it a little bit too long, and I'm like, come on, the, obvious, the answer to this question is obvious. Eventually she said, yeah, there's always someone who's in a worse situation than me. Sometimes we watch people walk through really, really difficult situations, maybe situations that we would say, that is the absolute worst case scenario. Like, I don't ever want to go through that situation. I don't even know if I could make it through that situation. We watch people walk through situations like that, 
Sometimes we see people go through that stuff and they don't seem to lose hope. They don't seem to stray from God. They don't seem to lose their relationship with God. They don't seem to attack him. Somehow, these people sometimes go through these situations and it's almost like they come out the other side of this storm and they're in a better place with God than when they even started walking through the storm. What I'm suggesting is that our heart position has a lot to do with our ability to do that. The incline or the decline of our heart has a lot to do with our ability to walk through life's storms. We need to reset our heart daily on a moment-by-moment basis, readjusting our heart to get out of the position that we know is going to lead in a direction that we don't want our lives to go. And redirect our heart, incline our heart to get in our heart lined up with the direction that we want our life to move. So the first thing that we have to do is we have to reset our heart. Psalm 119, 112 says, I have inclined mine heart to perform thy statutes always, even until the end. Verse 113 says, I hate double-minded people, but I love your law. So we have to reset our heart and we have to reset our hate. Many times, let me first say, David says, I hate double-minded people. He's not actually saying that he hates a a person. What David is actually saying is he's saying he hates the condition of double-mindedness. And he's not even looking at you and me and saying, I hate the the condition of double-mindedness in you because it bugs me. He's looking in the mirror and he's going, I hate the condition of double-mindedness in myself. I hate the back and forth in myself. I hate that some days I'm committed to God and I'm loving him and serving him. And other days I forget that there even is a God. He's saying he hates the condition of double-mindedness in himself. How many of you guys have some stuff that you have a love-hate relationship with? You guys ever said that? So when David says he hates the the condition of double-mindedness, what he's saying, the way you say that in 2017, soon to be 2018, is I have a love-hate relationship with some stuff. How many of you guys have some stuff you have a love-hate relationship with? I'll tell you some stuff I have a love-hate relationship with. I have a love-hate, mostly a hate, relationship with ab workouts. It's the truth. I don't mind doing squats. I don't mind weighted lunges. I don't mind benching. I don't mind curls. I don't mind dips. I don't mind pull-ups too much, even though I'm bad at them. But I hate ab workouts. I despise ab workouts. I work out with Zach Wilson, in theory, because it's been a while. Um, And when he texts me and says, hey, tomorrow we're going to do P90X, Ab Ripper X, I go to bed and I lay in bed and I'm like, I don't want to do that ab workout tomorrow. It's like the last thing I want to do. And then I get up and I call Zach in the morning. I'm like, hey, bro, I'm really sick. I threw up like three times. It's really bad. He's like, John, you're not sick. Get over here. I'm like, all right, I'll see you in a little bit. I hate doing ab workouts. I really hate it. I'm sore for like two or three days afterwards. Every time I cough, every time I sneeze, I'm like, ooh, ouch, my abs still hurt. God forbid someone tell me a joke. When someone tells me a joke, it's the worst because I start laughing and it hurts, and, but then I kind of laugh more because it kind of tickles, but then it hurts more. It's a horrible cycle, and then I'm pinching myself trying to get me to stop laughing. It's bad. 
But the thing is, I love having my core in shape. I love having my back properly supported. I love having my back not in pain. I don't know if you guys know this. I am actually in a scary way getting close to 40 years old. Very scary. And the dad bod is literally chasing me down. I mean, it is coming after me. It wants me to look like I'm 40, have a dad, have a dad bob, have moves. I don't want moves. I am fighting off this dad bod, and it takes ab workouts for me to be okay like that, right? So I hate ab workouts, but I also love the result of ab workouts. I'll tell you something I love. There's this chocolate caramel cake. And I love this chocolate caramel cake. Pete, Pete makes it for me sometimes, actually. It's, he's been such a blessing to our family in that way, with the chocolate caramel cake. So you get this chocolate cake, and then you poke all kinds of holes in it. And then what do you put on it? What's it called? Sweetened condensed milk, right? So this, I don't even know what that is. Sweetened condensed milk? Milk in a can? What is that? I don't know, but it's good. So you pour that over the chocolate cake. Now you have like a super moist chocolate cake. Then you put a thick layer of whipped cream on the top. Then you drizzle caramel on top. I love me some chocolate caramel cake, you know. But the thing is, the devil and that chocolate cake, they want me to get diabetes. I know they do. And that dad bod is chasing me down. So I have a love-hate relationship with the chocolate caramel cake. Something else that I love is I love me some DeSavos. I know it doesn't make any sense. The truth is, it's not even that good of pizza. It's pretty disgusting. Every town in America has better pizza, but over the last 28 years, I've conditioned myself to love and crave DeSavos pizza. I get the large pizza. I smear barbecue sauce over the top. I know it's weird, but just trust me. You ought to try it if you haven't. It sounds gross, but it's amazing. Then I take one of the middle pieces with no crust, cheese all the way to the edge, and I get that bite of DeSavos, and I get that hit of dopamine, and life is good. Life is very good. But again, I've seen some people who have had a life where they eat DeSavos five days a week. I've seen these people strolling around town. They got like the dad bod on steroids, right? I don't want the dad bod. It's chasing me down, but I'm fighting it off. So I have a love-hate relationship with DeSavos. There's some other stuff, though, that I have a love-hate relationship with. If I'm being honest, I have a love-hate relationship with watching TV. I probably shouldn't, but I do. Mostly a love relationship. Um, I like to watch TV. I like to, sometimes I have to go through, like, the Olympics at the end of the day to get my four kids in bed with my wife. Sometimes I have to put them to bed multiple times, and after all the nonsense and the chaos of getting these kids into bed, I just want to chill out. I don't want to think about anything. I don't want to deal with anything. I just want to stare at the TV. But the thing is, sometimes I don't get to pick when the devil is going to attack me and put me in a place where I'm, where I'm tempted to sin. I don't get to pick when the devil's going to come after me and try and discourage me. And if all I've been doing is taking in these TV shows which the truth is, even if they're not bad TV shows, I don't really try and watch bad TV shows. I just want to watch something funny to make me laugh or whatever. Um, a lot of times those TV shows, the truth is, they carry with them evil mindsets. They don't have any spiritual nourishment for me at all. And if I find myself in a place where I, I'm in a spiritual battle 
where I'm being tempted to sin, where discouragement is starting to set in, and all I've been doing is watching The Office, then the truth is that's probably not providing me with the nourishment that I need to win that spiritual battle. So then I end up loving TV, but I end up hating TV because it's not giving me the nourishment that I need in my life. Similarly, um, something that I hate to do, if I'm honest, sometimes I hate to get up a half an hour early and get on my knees and pray in the morning. I hate to humble myself and pray. I hate to read the Bible. I don't really hate to pray. I don't really hate to read the Bible. But I have flannel sheets. I don't know if you guys have flannel sheets. If you don't have, if you're laughing, maybe you know what I'm talking about. If you don't have flannel sheets, you are seriously missing out on life. Um, doesn't even matter what the thread count is. You get some flannel sheets, life is good. I also have a heated blanket. You know, I know it makes me a, a wuss with my flannel sheets and heated blanket, but I like it. Get off my back. And in my bed, it's warm. And outside, it's like negative three today. Like, what? What even is negative three? I suck air in my nose, and my nose freezes shut. That's crazy. So I would rather stay in bed where it's warm than I would rather get out and get on my knees and humble myself and pray. The truth is, sometimes when I wake up in the morning, I would rather stare at my phone. I would rather check the sports highlights from the night before. I would rather watch ESPN and watch SportsCenter and see who scored however many points last night. But like I said before, I don't know what that day holds. Some days you can walk through the day and there's, it seems like nothing big happens, nothing major, nothing tragic. But there's other days that you walk through and it's like it's a day from hell. It's like the enemy woke up and he looked at me and he said, I'm going to take him out today. I'm going to do whatever it takes to stop him. How many of you have ever had a day like that? A day where, where your worst nightmare comes true. I don't know when that day comes. I don't know. I don't get to pick when the enemy is going to attack me. And if all I did was I got up in the morning and I watched Sports Center, then I am not going to have the nourishment that I need spiritually to fight that battle that I'm in. Um. I don't love getting up to read God's word in the morning sometimes. Sometimes I want to stay in bed. But I'll tell you what I do love. I love the frame of mind it leaves me in. I love the focus it gives me in my day. I love the purpose that it gives me in my day. And when the enemy comes, I love having something that I just read earlier that day that I can use to battle and win. Amen? Let me tell you a personal story about learning to hate something. Uh, a few years ago, I hurt my back uh, four times over the course of like a year and a half. Uh, the first time I hurt my back, I didn't really think anything of it. I just, I thought I pulled a muscle or something. I didn't really think anything of it. I went about my business. Uh, the second time I hurt my back, it was kind of worse. Somebody said like, oh, you must have slipped a disc or something. And I'm like, oh, okay, I slipped a disc, whatever that means. Hopefully it slips back and then I'll be fine and go on, you know, whatever. Then the third time I hurt my back, that time was bad. That time I was in like super, super bad shape. I went to the chiropractor a bunch of times, and they tried a bunch of adjustments and stuff like that, and they said it might be time to see a surgeon. I was like, ooh, that doesn't sound good. Then I hurt my back the fourth time. It was really bad. So I was go going to the chiropractor a lot, and I went and I met with a couple surgeons that they asked me to go and meet with. 
none of those meetings were really encouraging. None of them really had anything good to say. It turns out I, had, I found out that I had two uh, completely herniated discs and two bulging discs. So they kind of made some suggest suggestions. I didn't really like their suggestions. None of it sounded good. But everyone that I talked to, the chiropractors, the surgeons, the physical therapists, they all did say one thing that was the same. They said they thought I would really benefit from some exercise. They said if I did too much exercise, they thought I would probably hurt myself worse. But if I did some moderate exercise, they thought I might my back might get in a lot better shape and be able to, maybe the muscles around my back would begin to support it better so it wouldn't hurt. It wasn't like them telling me that exercise was good for me it was like some new piece of information I had never heard. Like, I've always known my whole life that humans should exercise. Like, something in motion tends to stay in motion, and if you don't use it, you'll lose it. Like, this wasn't shocking information for me, right? But it took me being in a place of hating the pain that I was in enough that I was willing to do something about it. I'll never forget, Zach Wilson and I were hanging out one day, and uh, I said, Zach, you know, I've, I've noticed, I see these pictures you post on Instagram with your shirt off flexing and stuff, like, and like your muscles, you know, your muscles are pretty big, I, I have to admit, you know. And uh, I said, I was wondering if you would be willing to help me work out. And it was at that point in time that I heard his laugh just echo through the entire valley. And he's like, bro, you got a dad bod. You have a dad bod. <laughs> he's like, are you serious? And I'm like, yeah, I hurt my back. It's messed up. And they said that if I exercise, it might get better. So I want it to, I want it to get better, and I'm willing to do it. But I feel like I won't do it on my own. And I was wondering, like, if you would be willing to help me. He's like, all right, let's do it. So for over a year, Zach and I worked out at least three days a week. Um, and let me tell you, some people say like, some people will say like, oh, I just, like April, she says this. She's like, I love the feeling of exercising. And I'm like, oh, I love the feeling of staying in my warm bed. Like, <laughs> you love the feeling of exercise? It doesn't even make sense. Like, oh, I love the feeling of like ripped muscles. And like, I'm like, they're sore. They hurt. Like, this is not fun. What are you, what's the matter with you? There was never, never really a day that I was excited to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and go work out. I didn't ever love doing that. There wasn't ever a day that I was really excited about the fact that I was sore. But I'll tell you what I did love is I did love my back feeling a little bit better. I did love being able to do some things that I wasn't able to do because of my back pain before. I loved being able to do things like rebuilding my garage that desperately needed to be rebuilt. I love doing things like setting up for Camp Judah and not being in horrible pain for the rest of the week. Um, I loved being able to run around and chase my kids and wrestle with them without ending up crying on the floor like a little baby. So I didn't love working out, but I loved where it got me. So my question for you this morning is, where is God taking you in your life? Where is God taking you? And what do you need to learn to develop a hate for in order to get where God wants you to go? Maybe some of you, you have a problem with cake and desavos like I do. And maybe it's hindering you. Maybe you're looking at the rest of your life and you're going, you know what, I'm carrying around too much weight. I know that I need to lose some weight. But I love cake and I love desavos. Maybe even for you, it's bigger than just like wanting to lose some weight. Maybe you heard about this trip to Costa Rica that our church is taking. And maybe inside you felt like God even wanted you to go on that missions trip. 
but you were like, you know what, physically, I just, I can't. Like, I don't even feel like I could make that trip. And maybe you need to learn to develop a hate for that chocolate cake like I do. Maybe some of you, maybe you want to be a better husband and a better father, but you feel like a failure. You feel like every time you try, you just fail. Every time you feel like you fall short. So you've been stuck with your heart in this place of recline, stuck in this place of, com- of complacency, stuck in a place of being checked out. And maybe in this season, you need to learn to hate that complacency enough that you'll do something about it. Maybe for you, like the, the foundation for your life, the thing that your life has been marked by is insecurity. Just like you've always been an insecure person. You've always wrestled with that. And maybe in this season, you need to learn to hate that insecurity enough that you say, you know what? I'm shutting the TV off. I'm shutting out every distraction. I'm going to park myself at Jesus' feet until the reality of the fact that I am a child of God soaks in and it becomes real for me. I'm going to memorize every scripture I can get my hand on that talks about me being a child of God so that that insecurity can finally be dealt with. Maybe for you, you've been chewing on the potato chips of hopelessness, self-pity, and a victim's mentality. And in this season, you need to begin to hate that enough that you're willing to change it. If you're someone who is struggling with that specifically, uh, hopelessness, self-pity, or a victim's mentality, I actually felt like God gave me a strategy for you to beat that in your life. Um, I felt like God said to turn on the worship. Turn on the worship. Um, I had a, a picture of someone in a room that was like dark, and it was like the darkness was like caving in on them, like on every side. That darkness was self-pity, um, hopelessness, a victim's mentality. And it was as people filled their life with worship, it was like the light switch flipped on. And that darkness was literally driven from the room. The darkness couldn't stay there anymore because the light was on. So if you're someone who's struggling with that, I want to encourage you to fill your life with worship. If you're snowblowing, put earbuds in and worship. If you're driving to work, turn on worship. Talk radio is not helping you at all, and the stupid podcast that you're listening to is probably not helping you either. Turn on worship. Fill your life with worship if you want to see something change. If you're rocking your kid to sleep, if you're doing the dishes, fill your life with worship, and I believe you'll see victory. There's something, some of you who have been stuck in a place of decline, stuck in a place of recline, and God is calling you to reset your heart and incline your heart, and he's going to use hate to motivate you to get where he's taking you. Psalm 119.112 says, I have inclined mine heart to perform thy statutes, always, even until the end. Verse 113, I hate double-minded people, but I love your law. Verse 114, you are my shelter and my shield. I wait for your promise. You need to reset your heart. You need to reset your hate. And you need to reset your shelter. John 16 says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You're resetting your heart. You're hating the things that are stopping you from where God is taking you but you are going to come under attack. You don't have to wonder if the enemy is going to attack you. You don't even have to be surprised when the enemy attacks you. You can go ahead and count on the enemy attacking you. 
He sees where God is taking you. He sees where God wants you to go, and he is going to literally throw everything he can at you to try and stop you from getting where God is taking you. So when you come under attack in the past in your life, when you've come under attack, what shelter do you look for? Where do you hide? What's the comfort that you've run to in the past? What is your tendency when you're under pressure? Where do you escape? Some of you can't go back to the stuff that you used to run to. It doesn't work very well to ask God to protect you from an enemy that you're literally running to. It doesn't work good to ask God to protect you from an enemy that you're running to. And you better decide ahead of time where you're going to go when you come under attack. Sometimes we hide in places that seem safe, but they really aren't safe. People have a tendency to try and find shelter away from whatever storm they're facing in life. But some of you need to stop running from the storm, trying to find shelter, and let Jesus shelter you right where you are. It's really frustrating to watch people look for life in dead places. And so many times that's what we do when we're looking for shelter. I asked a bunch of people where they tend to run, where they tend to hide, where they tend to shelter themselves. Not good places, by the way. And they gave me a list. I'm going to read through this list, and I want you to see if you see yourself anywhere here. See if you see any tendencies of places where you've been trying to shelter yourself in the past. One person said, I hide behind a victim's mentality. If I can push the responsibility away from myself and onto other people, then I feel better. One person said, I hide behind gossip. Talking about other people's problems makes me feel a little bit better about mine. One person said, I shelter myself in eating. This person said, I'm an emotional eater. Seems kind of weird and doesn't really make any sense, but anytime I'm stressed out, I always go eat. One person said, I hide behind destructive thought patterns. I think evil thoughts about myself and even other people. One person said, I hide, hide behind porn and sexual sin. I know it's never fulfilling and always leaves me feeling empty, but I've been stuck running there for a long time. One person said, I hide behind blame. It's everyone else's fault, everyone else's issue. It can't possibly be mine. One person said, I hide behind drinking. I know the Bible says not to get drunk, but so many times that's what I've done when I've been stressed out and just needed to escape. One person said, I hide behind TV. This person said, I binge watch shows. They said, I can get out of work on Friday and shut myself in my apartment. Before I know it, it's Monday morning and it's time to go back to work. And I've literally lost an entire weekend of my life and I feel empty. One person said, I hide behind internet and social media. They said, it's easier to look at other people's lives, even if they look perfect, and I know they're not, than it is to face mine. One person said, I hide behind work. I can't seem to figure out anything at home, so I go to work where at least things make sense. At least I can succeed there and make some money. One person said, I hide behind the kids. I feel like I don't have much purpose in life, but with my kids, at least I know I have some purpose. One person said, I check out. 
I sleep my life away. I sleep way more than I know I need to, but sometimes it's just too hard to face life. One person said, I hide behind low expectations. They said, I've been disappointed so many times that if I just set the bar low enough, then I won't be disappointed next time. One person said, I hide behind shopping. They said, it's really nice to buy new and nice things, but then the reality of having to pay my credit card off sets in. One person said, I hide behind working out. It, I know it's a good, something that's good for me, and it kind of started out as that, but now it's become a place of escape, and it's almost like I'm addicted to it. One person said, I hide behind bad friends. So when I get stressed out, when life gets hard, I run to friends that I know are no good for me, and every time I get around them, bad stuff happens. One person said, I hide behind nicotine and caffeine. This person said, I used to smoke all the time, whenever I'd be stressed out. And then I knew that was bad for me, so I started drinking coffee. <clears throat> but now I drink like 10 pots a day. And sometimes when I get really stressed out, I still smoke. Um, one person said, I hide behind passivity. I act like things don't really bother me, but the truth is it's eating me up inside. One person said, I hide in escape. Sometimes life is just too hard to face. And one person said, I hide behind control. I've been disappointed and hurt so many times that I feel like if I could just control everyone and everything, then maybe I wouldn't get hurt so much. My mom used to tell me all the time, Jonathan, sin will cost you more than you want to pay and keep you longer than you want to stay. She used to say that to me so much. I can still hear her saying that to me. It's been like three days since she said it to me. Just kidding. <laughs> Hiding places are a lot like that. Sometimes we find ourselves in a really hard or difficult or a painful situation and we run to the nearest closet, the closest place we could hide. But that closet wasn't a safe place. And now you're trapped there. Some of you ran and found an unhealthy shelter and then you set up shop there. That temporary unhealthy shelter has become the place where you live. Here are a couple of healthy places I try to hide. I don't always succeed, but I try to. One place that I try to hide is in an old song that we used to sing called I Exalt Thee. For me, when I'm in a bad place, usually what I'm feeling, if I have to, I don't always think about it, but if I do think about it and boil down what I'm feeling, usually what I'm feeling is overwhelmed. Like there's something that has to get done that I am not good at doing and I don't know how I'm going to do it or I feel like there's too much to get done and not enough time to do it. So if I'm feeling overwhelmed, usually what that means is I'm, let's say, for example, I was stressed, about, stressed out about a financial situation. Then what that means is I've let that financial situation get really big and really huge, and I've actually let it get bigger than God. Now, that financial situation is not very big to God. The Bible says that God owns a cattle on a thousand hills, right? Thousand Hills is a lot, and that cattle's worth some good money probably, right? So God created this whole world that we see. If God created everything that we see, then probably he can handle whatever financial thing I'm stressed out about in that moment. So I start to sing, I exalt thee. And I literally, when I do this, I picture my problem becoming small and God becoming big. Because in my mind, I've let this problem get huge, and somehow I let God become small. But God is huge. And compared to this problem, the problem is small compared to God. 
So I sing, I exalt thee, and I exalt God above this situation that's trying to make itself big and huge. And I say, no, God is huge. God is all-powerful. God is my provider. God will supply. And in doing that, it brings me to a place of peace. Another place that I like to hide is in one of my favorite verses in Romans 8. It says, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the power of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. David knew where to shelter. He knew where to hide himself. All throughout the Psalms, there's like hundreds of places where David says stuff like this. I'm just going to read three of them to you. This is Psalm 3.3. But you, Lord, are my shield around me. Psalm 7.10. My shield is God most high. Psalm 27.5. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. So if we're going to get where God wants us to go, we have to reset our heart. We have to incline our heart. We can't leave it in this place of decline or recline. We have to reset our hate. We have to begin to hate the things that are stopping us from going where God is calling us to go or doing what God is calling us to do. And we have to reset our shelter. We can't run to dead places looking for life and expect to find life there. You will always find death in dead places. So this morning, if you felt like, I just want to give you a chance to respond. If you felt like anywhere in there, God was speaking to you and he was saying, you need to reset your heart or you need to reset your hate or you need to reset your shelter, then I just want to ask you to stand to your feet this morning and let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you so much that you don't just let us keep going where we're going and doing what we're doing, but you give us opportunity to reset. You give us opportunity to not leave our heart in that place of decline, but to incline our heart, to put our focus on you, to point our heart in the direction that you want us to go. Lord, that you don't just let us keep running in our own ways, but you challenge us to reset our hate, to learn to hate the things that are causing us to not make it where you want us to go, to not become who you've called us to be or go where you've called us to go. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to reset our shelter. Lord, we don't have to go to those places anymore that we've found comfort in the past that don't lead to life. We can reset our shelter and make our shelter in you. We can hide in you. Lord, I ask you to be with everyone as they go from this place this morning. I ask you to help them as they begin to reset these different areas of their life. Lord, I ask you to help each one who's in a place to be able to hear very clearly and specifically what you're saying so they could reset the area they need to, Lord. And Lord, over these next 20 days as we're going through this book together, Lord, I ask that it would be more than a book. It would be more than words on a page but we would find you. We would meet with you in the place that each one of us desperately needs you. Lord, I ask that in the next 20 days, 
we would begin to have a desperation in our heart for relationship with you. We wouldn't be okay with the day-to-day mundane things that we're going through. We wouldn't be okay with being consumed with ourselves. We wouldn't be okay with living for our lives just for ourselves. But we would become so in love with you. We would see you as you are. We would see our deep need for you. And it would drive us into relationship with you. Lord, we ask you to meet with us in this 20-day reset. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Be blessed. Happy New Year. Pick up your cards in the fellowship hall, and you can pick up the book in the foyer.